It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I'm David Gardner. Happy November. So, one of the things that I've enjoyed doing in our first two years of Rule Breaker Investing, the podcast, is occasionally, maybe every nine or ten shows, having somebody on the show to talk with. People that interest me. It's a motley array of people. I was just looking back over our last four guests. You have Nick Epley, who's the author of the book MindWise, How We Understand What Others Think, Believe, Feel, and Want. I hope you enjoyed Nick. Then we talked to Zach Cantor, a futurist, future thinker, entrepreneur, talking about how Amazon's eating the world and the implications and a lot more besides that. Then we went to McKenna Hassey, who is the only female professional race car driver who's also a college student, who's also president of her college investment club that I know of. Maybe you, too. And I know you enjoyed McKenna. And then, finally, Anders Ericsson, his book, Peak. I've gotten some great mailbag feedback people who said, yeah, I used Audible and just bought the book right after that interview and have learned a lot. And how wonderful is Anders and how wonderful that conversation was. Well, now for something completely different. Well, not that different in that I'm always having people who interest me, generally people that I like, sometimes like a lot, and suspect that you might like them a lot too. So that persists. That's definitely true of Roy Spence. But Roy is also very different from my last few guests. Roy is a working entrepreneur himself, he is a marketing genius. He is the branding mind behind some of the most recognizable and successful advertising campaigns of the last few decades. He has met with and worked with some of the best-known people of our time. And yes, he's even willing, occasionally, to stoop down and talk on a podcast to some younger guy, some fool, because Roy likes to talk to the common man. He likes to walk in our shoes and share some of his perspective with all of us. And that's what I have for you this week. I I know this is going to be a treat because I've got to know Roy over the years. And so I hope if you've never heard of Roy Spence before that you'll not only enjoy this, you might even love Roy Spence a little bit, which we certainly do here at the Motley Fool. So it's my pleasure now to start the conversation this week that you'll get to hear with Roy Spence. Roy Spence is chairman and CEO of GSDNM, a marketing, communications, and advertising company. He's also the founder of the Purpose Institute, a consulting firm that helps people and organizations discover and live their purpose. And he's the author of several books, including The Ten Essential Hugs of Life, The Amazing Faith of Texas, and It's Not What You Sell, It's What You Stand For. Roy, a delight to have you on Rule Breaker Investing. David, my man, my friend, I appreciate it. Now you've got a marvelous company, and you know you're not bad yourself. But, uh, <laughs> but it's been a, it's been a great uh, great tribute to me to be a friend of yours and your brother and the company. So I'm honored to be here, and I'm delighted to have you on this podcast. We are not worthy, but you're going to spend some time with us, and <laughs> a lot of people are going to get to know you better, and that's what I'm excited about, Roy. For the benefit of people who may not know. Uh, GSDNM, or may not even know who Roy Spence is. Can you just briefly explain what GSDNM does and when someone might call Roy Spence? <laughs> well, thank you, David. Uh, our story is an interesting one. I won't go on with it, but I uh, grew up in a tiny little town, small town called Brownwood, Texas. Loved every second, by the way. And it's about 140 miles from Austin, Texas. And uh, I decided to take the big leap. I know your son just. It's got his freshman year in Vanderbilt, but 
take the big leap to go to the University of Texas. So I drove uh, with a friend of mine and to, to Austin. I'd never been before. And I moved into a dorm that had more people than my town. And uh, so hmm. here was a kid from Brownwood, Texas. Now it's four times as big. But walking around this big, huge campus, long story short, I met three, four people my sophomore year. And we decided to start doing these multimedia shows. Back then, it was just crazy film and music. And we had thousands of kids at college lining up, paying us 50 cents to get in. And our brownie, we can talk about it, it's America. Anyway, so uh, it's, 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 it's a you know, free enterprise. And we looked at each other and we said, maybe we can make a living and a life doing what we love to do. So we started the company kind of in college and we started GSDNM, Gersey Spence, Darlick McClure, and I went down to the bank with a brand new tie-dyed t-shirt and a ponytail looking awesome. We asked for $5,000 to start our business and the loan officer said, well, what's your business plan? And I was like frozen. I, did, I went, uh, <laughs> what, what? He said, what's your business plan? I said, well, we want to stay together. We want to stay in Austin. We want to make a difference and get rich. And he loaned me the money. <laughs> so, uh, 46 years later, the four same partners are still together. Mm. Now, we're not active in the agency now, but we still office in the same building. We're still in Austin. We're still trying to make a difference, and we're working on the rich piece. But GSTNM is a marketing company, and our first big break was Southwest Airlines, and we've done them now for 35 years. Mm. And we're definitely going to talk about that in a little bit. So, Roy, now everyone knows you're the S of GSDNM. GDNM, who's the most valuable player among GDNM? Well, you know, so originally no one could remember initials, uh, which is <laughs> true. It was stood for greed, sex, drugs, and money. But, we, but my mother said, Roy, you can't keep talking about that. So, uh, so it's Gersey, Spence, Darlick, and McClure. And I would say what we found out, and it's kind of kind of what y'all are doing with your company, is we found out early in our life everybody wants to be a partner. They don't want to deal with the ship. Hmm. And we're still in the ship together for 46 years. Hmm. And we instinctively realize something that, by the way, Gallup and Strength Finders knows. We, we all each play to our strengths. We didn't try to make, we didn't instinctively know any of this, but we, we never tried to make one of us become average at what we're bad at. We all kind of played like, well, let's become great at what we're good at. Mm -hmm. And so we had each other's back. And by the way, we all the whole company now is taking Gallup Strength Finders. I uh, don't know if you all know about it, but it really talks about your top five strengths. So we kind of built a company based on purpose and strengths and being got each other's back. Mm. And we didn't know anything about advertising. I think that was the best thing that ever happened. We did not know what we were not supposed to do, that rule breaker thing. <laughs> we, didn't know, we didn't know what the rules were, so we broke them anyway. That's awesome. Roy, what is your superhero power? Uh, what do you mean? Well, you're a superhero, and yeah. typically, and I've seen a lot of these movies, one of my better yeah. stock picks is Marvel, which got bought out by Disney, as you know. And yeah. so, you're a superhero, and that means you've got a power, you might have more than one, and there yeah. might even be an origin story tied to how you discovered you had that power. I'm going to ask yeah. you, this is hard for you, I know, I'm going to ask you briefly to be immodest. Well, 
yeah, that's hard for me. But but I, I will tell you, <laughs> basically what happened. I got I got lucky, David, and I got lucky because I got on the road to purpose early in my life. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it what it meant. But you know, the whole since the beginning of time, the whole uh, you know, human race search for meaning. And a quick story I don't tell very well, I'll share it with I had a sister born with spinal bifida. She was older than me, and then back in those days, the 50s, the early 50s, no one lived with spinal bifida. It's a birth defect that all the nerves are supposed to go into your leg, ball up an open wound on your back. Mm. And she was supposed to live to be four days and four months. She ended up living to be 49 years old because mm. of my mother. Mm. And I pushed her to school every day. And so did my sister, but I pushed her to school for five, seven, ten years. I couldn't even see over the wheelchair. She graduated from high school. Uh, she came to Austin, and I hope your fans don't get mad, but every Sunday I pushed her, and we listened to the Dallas Cowboys and ate <laughs> Whataburgers. And when she passed away at 49 years old, I was in her bed. And mm. she always used to tell me, Roy, you don't have to have legs to fly. And this big epiphany happened, David, when she passed away. I realized all these years I'd been pushing her, she actually had been pushing me. Mm. And <clears throat> so I'd had this experience of walking in other people's shoes and being got, I got to understand my dad's philosophy, you gotta be kind to everybody you meet because everyone's fighting some kind of battle. And so I guess kind of my superhero power, whatever is, I really do understand the idea that no one's too good and everybody's good enough. And King's Speech is one of my favorite movies. Mm. King's Stutter too. Mm. So when you're looking at marketing, when I, my number one strength, by the way, with Gallup is strategic. And that basically, in Royism, and you'll get the, you know this, <laughs> I see dead people, okay? And uh, uh, that's not really the Gallup definition. They would hate me for being saying that. But God gave me the ability to see what will be. And, it, it, and by the way, it's not easy because when people tell me, you know, how do you come up with the big ideas? And I used to say drinking. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I have found through life, Big ideas come from paying the price of knowing what you really want to accomplish. It, it comes from the idea, God. If you don't pay the price, they'll give you a half excuse me idea. It will, <laughs> won't work. But if you pay the price of figuring out what is the problem we're really trying to solve, what is the opportunity we're really trying to create, and does it have a purpose? That's the side part besides just making money. I guess that I got lucky that my purpose is to help others fulfill theirs, and maybe that's my God-given strength. And that is so well put. And Roy, let's talk a little bit about purpose. Um, one of your books is subtitled, Why Extraordinary Business is Driven by Purpose. Now, you know this, we're a show about investing. Yep. Why should investors care about a company's purpose? Great question, and I would say 20 years ago they shouldn't have. Um, purpose, when we, we uh, Jim Collins and I, you know, good to great, both mm -hmm. the last, great mm -hmm. friend. He, we were on the purpose journey, didn't know each other. And when he, he came out with Bill the last, and 
he had this great line, the, the companies, the visionary companies, the ones that are built to last will always have a purpose beyond making money. And I've been on this kind of, my company and me on this wilderness lost. We learned about purpose, David, in two ways, and I'm going to get to your specific question. One, we did a campaign called Don't Mess with Texas. People don't know what that is, but back then it was an anti-litter campaign. It's a bumper sticker. We see it here in Washington, D.C. I know. And, and, and it hurts after the Cowboys the beat the Redskins. It was an, an anti-litter <laughs> campaign. And it, and so they hired us, you know, Keep America Beautiful, didn't really like it because they, had, they liked the crying Indians and don't pollute, give a hoot. And we said those campaigns really are effective to, with the Sierra Club, but the Sierra Club does not litter. Billy Bob Bowtree from Tyler, Texas, litters. So we came up with Don't Mess with Texas. Hmm. And litter went down 80, no, 77%, literally, with no fines, no penalties, no regulations. We changed people's behavior. They stopped littering. Hmm. Our first spot, God bless him, was Stevie Ray Vaughan. And then we had Willie and Waylon and George. It was crazy. My point is, we finally realized the reason it was working we got out of the litter business and got into the pride business. We did not know that. Mm. Southwest Airlines comes along, and their 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 whole premise, and I'll get to your investment point, was to you know to, you know give people the freedom to fly, which was our line. I looked at Herb one day and I said, "You're not in the airline business; you're in the freedom business." And he he said, "I sure am." And it. So what we found is, and you look at the great books by Raj and Conscious Capitalism, our book, we started finding out 15 years ago what is true. If a company and an organization has a culture of making a difference in people's lives and not just making money, I'm not talking about kumbaya stuff, but actually what they do every day is improve people's lives, then their bottom line is more improved. Now, to answer your question specifically, when Al Gore and I invented the internet, <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> we had no idea that everyone would know everything about your, your yourself or your company, mm. for good or bad. And this younger generation, millennials and Gen Zs, there's a lot of buzz about why they're not this and that. Well, I will tell you the one truth. They are the most purpose-seeking generation ever recorded in history. A lot of them are lost, but they want to be found. They're going to work for organizations and companies that have a purpose beyond making money. They're going to buy products and services from companies that treat their employees right, that treat the community right, that treat their country right, that treat the environment right. They're going to be looking for purpose-inspired organizations. So investors need to, before you put a dime in somebody's company, I would go ask the CEO, what is the purpose of your company? Mm -hmm. And if they start rattling around their business card and they have to pull it out on its back in the back of a business card, it says, yeah, blah, blah, blah. They ought to be say, they ought to be able to say right off, our purpose is to help people love where they live. By the way, that's Lowe's. Mm. We help people love where they live. So I would be, that would be the number one question from my investment as a future, maybe not now, but the future talent and the future customers 
will be asking the same question. I'm not going to buy from you and I'm not going to work with you unless I understand the core values and core purpose of your company. Amen, brother. And just so you know, I think you do know this, you're already preaching to the choir because that's how we think. Uh, But I wanted to still hear it from the mountaintop, from the man himself, because you put it so well and that's so inspiring. And Roy, you mentioned... um, Herb Kelleher, I would love for you to just tell us uh, the, the the vaunted and, and and rightly so CEO, former CEO of Southwest Airlines, um, still living, still adding a lot of purpose to the world, a lot of humor because that's a big part of Herb, as you well know. You know him much better than I. I'm curious, what was the first time that you met that that you met Herb, and and what what have you learned from Herb over the years? Great question. Quick story: When we first started our business. Uh, we did a lot of political advertising because they had to pay in advance. <laughs> that was a good thing. Uh, and uh, uh, we learned a lot in politics, by the way. For, most of all, we learned the sense of urgency because there's not a re-grand opening after Election Day. So we ran a guy for Congress, and we beat this guy that was supposed to win. Herb Kelleher was one of his key supporters. I didn't even know who he was. I was 26 years old or something, mm. 28. And... So I get a call from Herb Kelleher's office, and his assistant, Colleen Barrett, who ended up being president of Southwest Airlines, who I adore, said, Herb wants to meet you. I didn't know who he was. So I found out who he was, and I drove to meet him, and we sat down for two hours. I was 28. He had 28 airplanes or something like that. And he looked at me, and he says, after two hours, do you drink? And I went, yeah, a lot. So he pulled out a jar of mezcal that... Someone had given him from Mexico. We drank the whole thing, shared the worm, he hired me. <laughs> and we first started doing a lot of just project work, and we ended up getting all his entire business. And let me tell you why he was the best CEO I ever worked with. And I, I worked with Sam and all these amazing ones. Three things. One, he was a genius, but didn't walk around with it. Two, he was a competitor, but he said, take the competition seriously, but not yourself, Roy. And he'd preach that everywhere. This is only business. And third, most importantly, around my neck is a symbol of every religion in the world. Because when I did the Amazing Faith of Texas book, I realized oh, there's only one thing that all the religions have, and that's the golden rule. Herb Kelleher practiced the golden rule with everyone. The golden rule is hard because you have to walk in somebody else's shoes. If you're going to treat someone like you want to be treated, you got to understand that God made us all different. He would, to this day, he probably knows the names of 20,000 of his employees. I'm not kidding you, Mm. because he walked in their shoes. He was there way before undercover boss. He was in the mechanics. He was serving peanuts. He was in the pipe. So those three things, That's great. smart as hell, but don't show it, kill the competition, but don't take yourself seriously, and practice the golden rule. Mm. All right, so Roy, it's time for us to take a little bit of a dark turn for our time together, because you know, I know you're a Star Wars fan, and you know that there's the Empire Strikes Back comes in the middle. Yeah. And that's where we are right now. And it doesn't need to be that dark, but one thing I don't talk about much on this podcast is politics. So yep. let's talk politics just a little bit. Now, I am very apolitical, 
Uh, we live in interesting times, as you know. You know how effective political advertising can be. You just mentioned it was even more effective if you're the business doing it because they pay up front, which I love learning yeah. from you. <laughs> but let's talk about public opinion of Congress. You know it's at an all-time low. Uh, we hear left and right sharply divided. There seems to be more energy spent on finger-pointing sometimes than solving problems. Do you think it's possible as a common interest for for all involved for Congress to rediscover its nonpartisan let's go with all caps here purpose yep. and and repair its brand well thank you for asking um, one of the things my mom was a civics teacher in my little hometown and by the way schools don't teach civics they think history is civics it's not history is what happened civics was why it happened and I'm, I'm on a little path of we got to bring civics back to civilization in our school. If you don't know why people do things, but anyway, mm. my mom used to always tell me, Roy, no matter what happens, always remember here in America, politics is the business of freedom. And it stuck with me all my life because as bad as it is here or was, we have the freedom to debate and yell, scream, and all that kind of stuff. What has happened, and I'm not going to go there, but there was a book, and I know that Arthur Strauss and Howe, who wrote a book about 10, 15 years ago about the fourth turning. And the, basically, they studied history, David, and the fourth turning basically makes the case that in America, and actually around the world, every generation has a spring, a summer, a fall, and a winter. Turn, turn, turn. And they tracked the last winter in America was World War II. The winter before that was the Civil War. The winter before that was the American Revolution. They predicted that our winter of my generation would hit in 2008. And they predicted it 10 years before 2008 hit. That's when the massive meltdown happened. And by the way, winters last a long time. Uh, Trump's advisors studied the fourth turning. And bottom line is, you ask what's, what's going to happen, and I'm not pro or against anything. I'm, I've decided I'm going to spend the rest of my life on a project called the Promised Land Project. The Promised Land Project is not for the tired or the timid. The Promised Land Project is like... Um, you know, the, the, the Kennedy's call for a man on the moon, the Manhattan Project during World War II, Reagan's call to tear down the Berlin Wall, Clinton's call to join the 21st century. The Promised Land Project is attacking the, the issue of our time. We're involved in another civil war. And if you think it from a brand perspective, and on both sides are to blame. Special interest PACs are to blame. They're creating this, and social media now jump amplifies it. They're creating by design a us versus them culture. And by the way, people don't remember this. The first motto of the United States of America was e pluribus unum. Now, I know there's a lot of Latin majors out there, but... Out of many, was, one. Out of many, one. It's about the only Latin I know. So, uh, Promise Land Project has a centerpiece. We were, we're going to spend the next seven years, nine years of our life America has a marketing problem, and we're going to mobilize the best marketers in the entire planet. 
And we're our purpose, by the way, of the Promised Land Project is to start building a culture of us, as in USA, so that America can start winning on purpose. We have to have purpose over politics in this country. And I'm getting the purpose gurus of all over this country to say, young people, get off your butts and get in the political arena. But you need to be right now, you know, Kennedy was 41. Our leaders are old as dirt. And we got to get young people getting in the arena, the business of freedom. And whether they're Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or Independent, we've got them to understand what a purpose-inspired leader is versus the political. Now, three or four things, and I'll stop. This is not kumbaya. <laughs> the purpose of the Promised Land Project has four or five central. Number one, Americans need to respect the dignity of all work again. We gotta walk in each other's shoes. We gotta understand that factory workers and farmers and you know subway riders we have something in common. We're going to work every day. Secondly, we've got to stop the myth that a four-year college is the only path to success in this country. It is wrong. It's immoral. We have hundreds of thousands of jobs out there. And in the ninth grades and colleges, I mean, in, in whatever, they're picking winners and losers. Oh, if you go to college, you're a winner. If you're not, you're a loser. We're, the Promised Land Project's going to take that on straight up because it's wrong and un-American. Hmm. God made us all different, and we judge our kids on standardized tests. Let's see. God made us all different. So hmm. we're, we're going to be on the Promised Land Project. We're going to be championing the co concept of strength finders in public schools. By the way, they put it in the Atlantic Public Schools. So if you can't spell or you can't add or whatever the issues are, let's find out what you're really good at so you can become great at it. Hmm. We're going to champion the miracle of America, which is entrepreneurship. America has to start a million new companies, and I'm not talking just the East and West Coast and the Silicon Valleys. These are heartland jobs. You ought to ask your kids, by the way. Maybe you can ask yours. Quit asking your kids, what do you want to do? Ask them what they love to do. And once they find, you find out what they love to do, help them build a business. we got to stand tall for small. Big is good, but small businesses, we create the real jobs. And finally, the Beltway needs to know the solutions for America's future are not going to come from the Beltway. They're going to come from the cities. It's already happening. And the people who get elected to Congress and White House need to realize their job isn't about inventing the future. Their job is discovering the solutions that are already on the ground and scaling them. Mm. I know you might think I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. This is going to be a marketing <laughs> campaign. And I, I love it. I'm, I'm a believer. And in fact, I'll say a year ago on this podcast, I was asking openly of anybody who wanted to listen that we should be talking. We do this at our company. I know you do this at yours. You do this better at yours than almost anybody. What are your core values? We ask ourselves and our employees right. for profit and not for profit. And what I was asking, open question on this podcast, and then we tried to answer it on one subsequent podcast. I was asking, what are America's? core values. Right. What what are those three to five values? What's the, what's the process by which we align, we articulate, and then align around those? So, I know, I know I'm preaching back to the choir here, but, um, but count me in on the Promised Land Project. I like it. Thank you. And what we're trying to do is, I don't believe the politicians on either side, I don't believe a lot of the media, 
uh, we have to just like don't mess with Texas. We got to get the greatest marketers on the planet who believe in being a force for good. We got to believe that they believe that we're better together, that it shouldn't be us versus them. We'll always fight. America, again, politics is the business of freedom. But we will lose our freedom if politics does not take the back seat to purpose. Love it. Okay, Roy, I, I'm already feeling that we're coming out of the Empire Strikes Back. We've, we've been to the dark side <laughs> yeah. and back, and now it's time for those little Ewoks, and it's all going to be good. <laughs> okay. So let, let's see where it takes us here in our last 10 or 15 minutes together. So okay, so let's talk about business a little bit. Um, you just told your, your first time meeting with Herb Kelleher. Let's pick somebody else that everyone knows, and I'm curious how you first met Sam Walton, what you learned from Sam Walton. Well, it was an amazing story. A couple of years after we did Southwest, I get I joke about it. You've heard me say this. I get, by the way, well, anyway, I get a collect call from Sam Walton. Young people don't know what that means. <laughs> I and still I remember that, those. He, my assistant said, there's a collect call from Sam Walton. I thought it was my dad because he called me collect all the time. He's a <laughs> and there was Sam. And he said, oh, Roy, I like you, number one, because I, I'm now shaking. This is Sam Walton. <laughs> and he hadn't gone into any urban areas yet. It was all rural. And he said, I like you because my dog's named Old Roy. And <laughs> he said, I also like you because my dog's food is named Old Roy. He said, Old Roy, can you come to Bentonville, Arkansas? I like what you're doing for Southwest. We need some help. I'm terrified. Borrow another $5,000, get a flight, go there. I have a big briefcase with nothing in it, just so I could look like I had something. And walk <laughs> in, and there's Sam, and I don't know, David Glass, I don't know who all was there, and that, in, the, in Bentonville, and I'm literally terrified. And finally, Sam looks at me and he says, well, oh, Roy, glad you're here, but where's the rest of your staff? Well, I didn't have any other staff. It was me. <laughs> and my briefcase was over my knees, and I was shaking like a leaf. And then finally, my Texas thing kind of kicked in, and I looked at him, and I said, Well, Mr. Sam, there's an old saying in Texas, one riot, one ranger. What kind of problem you got? <laughs> he falls out of his chair, laughing. <laughs> Hires me. 17 years I rode with Sam Walton. Mm. I would guess the number one thing I learned from Sam Walton, and I learned so much, his big thing, the number one thing, curiosity does not kill the cat. Curiosity kills the competition. Hmm. And we had to go out in the marketplace and go to all the competitors, good, bad, or indifferent, and find out something they're doing better than we are. That whole notion back in business land now, and I don't think you get all your information off the internet. I think you gotta get out there and walk in other people's shoes and talk to people. As you know, I'm walking across America, but he was one, uh, Norm Brinker, who rolled out Chili's restaurants, um, one of the great purpose-inspired leaders, by the way. Mm -hmm. We got him when Chili's was tiny, and then we had him for years and years and years. We don't, we hadn't had him in a while, but we did the baby back ribs spot, that was, <laughs> uh, which was amazing. But he taught me something else too, David. He said you always have to have benchmarks. If you play like you don't have benchmarks, and you just say we're just going to continue to roll. But he also said 
I remember looking at him before he passed away. He said to me, now, Roy, you know this. Life is a journey. Don't live your life with destinations because the final destination will be here faster than you know it. Hmm. Live your life as a journey. You know what I'm saying? Sure do. And it's powerful. It's one thing to say uh-huh. it, it's another to live it. He obviously did, and he I think did. I'm talking to somebody else who's on a journey. Are you really walking across it? Did you say you're walking across America? Yeah, I started about eight years ago. I was watching uh, TV in New York. I thought I had a bad day, and it was late at night, and um, I don't have bad days after being in Haiti, by the way, after the earthquake huh. uh, at all. But I was watching Nancy Grace. You know, She was yelling at me, and I hadn't done anything. <laughs> and, and she... she Every, every doctor's bad, every dog is bad, every priest is bad. I said, that's not the America I know. So I decided to walk across America and take a picture of something good every mile. And I have a day job. So I, it was about 10 years ago when I first did it. I haven't done it since. I went through eight, nine states, 20 miles a day. And every time my pedometer went off, I had to find something good to take a picture of. Wow. And let me tell you what I learned in life. My mom used to read me Two Roads Diversion, A Yellow Wood, and Sorry I Could Not Travel Both and Be One Traveler. I had no idea what Robert Frost was meaning. I do now. You become what you look for in life. If you're on the road to look for enemies, you'll find them. If you're looking for hate, they'll live in your heart. If you're looking for gossip, they'll consume you. If you're looking for fear, they'll follow you. But if you get on the road and you're looking for friends, you'll be befriended. If you're looking for love, you'll be loved. If you look for the truth, it'll set you free. If you look for hope, it'll go to the mountaintop. So I now know in life, and all you listeners and viewers out there, you actually become what you look for. So let's go look for goodness. Mm. I'm not goodness is not simple, easy. Goodness is hard. But in the end game, when you when you look for the good things, and we're all looking instead of the dark things, you'll find the good things. Mm. Completely, and, I, and that sounds kumbaya. It's not. <laughs> completely agreed. And purpose is something that you saw early on, as you've described. You had that, you just had that lens perched on the end of your nose, and that's how you saw the world. And I'm curious, Roy, looking at the world today, um, you know, you don't have to cast any nasty aspersions here, but is there is there a name that comes to mind when you think about a company that may have lost its purpose at some point, and or maybe tried to redefine its purpose, and maybe maybe even failed at that? You know, I don't, you know, I, my, my instinct in life, and I know this sounds, a li- again, a little bit naive, but I've always, and a really good friend of mine validated this the other day, and if I told you who it was, you would go, wow. He looked at me <laughs> and he said, Roy, you know what's interesting about you? And I said, yeah, everything. No, <laughs> he said, you are a far person. I, I said, big pardon? He said, you're far things. You're not against things. And I was thinking, I mean, I am, but he said, and he said, what's interesting about the observation, and again, you would know who he is, they said people are born with it or they look, or I think my sister helped me. When you walk in other people's shoes and, and you realize that everybody's fighting battles, if you're for something versus against something, I'd like to be far. So mm. I don't know, I don't really want to talk about who had it and who lost it. Uh, I think that the key big thing is when my preacher passed away about two years ago, by the way, he, he and I drank scotch together, so he was one of those, which I like. <laughs> uh, 
I used to tell my preacher every Saturday night before I got Gerald Mann, we'd sit out in my backyard and drink, and he, I'd say, you know, preacher, here's a little thought. If you, if you don't know where you're going, you'll never be lost. Hmm. And he let me go by with that stuff for about two years, because I talk about, if you don't know where you're going, you'll never be lost. He said, well, that's wrong. If you don't know where you're going, you'll never be found. So I think we've got to go find ourselves all the time. And part of it for America is what T.S. Eliot said. You know, we will not cease to explore, but when the exploring is done, we'll go back to where we started and know the place again for the first time. Sometimes when companies lose their way or people lose their way, you need to go back to where you started and understand why you took that first step on the road to bad or why you took that first step on the road to good. We need to go back and re-examine the miracle of this country. And basically, I think it's the idea that if you can dream it, you can build it. Another one is no one's too good and everybody's good enough. Mm. So, Roy, um, from there, I'm almost embarrassed to ask my next question, but I'm still going to ask it, because you just <laughs> you, that was so eloquent and also high-minded. But I also know there's a grounded Roy Spence there. There's a guy who's going to get down in, not the muck here, but the cheese with me with this next question. So, Roy, let's talk about a topic near and dear to, is it fair, any Texan's heart? And that's queso. Okay, yes, so so this is a Chipotle question. Chipotle, I bet you know this, Roy, they recently introduced queso. It's all natural, all natural ingredients. Now, I think it's fair to say that the reception, and I'm also a four person, so let's just say the reception <laughs> has been, we'll say, pretty lukewarm. And... And there's been some backlash on social media. Roy, not only are you a Texan, but you also have your own hot sauce. Yes, I do. And I've enjoyed it, too. It's Royitos. Uh So, here's my question. If Chipotle enlisted you for a queso consult, what would your advice be? Uh, I would say keep working (laughs) on it. (laughs) And uh, I love Chipotle. I love... Their intent, I love their purpose. I love. I know they've had some issues, and but in the end game, I mean, as a Texan, you know, I, when I started my hot sauce company, my daddy taught me three things. His name was Roy, by the way, and he grew up speaking Spanish before English. He mm-hmm. was in the Pass, Texas, and so his name was Roy. I was named Roy, so he called me Royito all my life, little Roy. And I was known that in Brownwood, Texas. I, I wasn't Roy; I was Royito. So he taught me three things, be kind to everybody you meet, simplify your life, which I didn't do. And then he'd always say, now, Rachel, remember, don't do mild in food or life. <laughs> don't do mild. So my Rachel Salsa hot sauce company was based for my dad. And my the purpose on the back of the jar, which is sold in Whole Foods here in Texas, Central Market, it says, my purpose with Rachel's is to inspire people that don't do mild in life. Follow your passion and your purpose. So I would say whoever is in the queso business, don't do mild. Mm, Really good advice. I have to admit, that question, as well as a few others, were written for me in consultation. Somebody who knows you as well or better than I do, even if you don't recognize Matt Greer, our longtime producer here. But he's a Hell Texan. Yeah, Mac. How you doing, brother? <laughs> he's right on the other side of the glass. He's a Texan oh, as God, well. I miss you, man. And he, here's what here's what here's Max's take. And I, you know, let me know what you think. Is he? So he's a queso loving native Texan. 
he wanted me to bounce this off you. He basically says that Chipotle is maybe trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist because people may not want all natural queso. I mean, people people do want queso that tastes great. Queso might be a guilty pleasure. Doesn't need integrity. Mac, you're so bad. <laughs> but anyway, here's my answer to that. My theory for this Chipotle or Southwest who are driven by values and purpose, not holier than thou, but driven by purpose and values, mm-hmm. you got to stay with what you believe in. I've always told people that the worst thing you can do, and I know this is, this is a heavy answer to a light question, <laughs> <laughs> but the worst thing you can do is to try to be like them. Because in the end, the best you'll ever be is a worse them. So why don't you be a better you? So I would encourage Chipotle to stay on their course of values and purpose, continue to improve, and if they if they make one move to be a worse somebody, what's the what's the call on making the second move? Hmm. And I know the question was light, but to me it's kind of a heavy question. Hmm. It's like when Mac when we were at Southwest, everybody all the consultants said you got to charge for bags. There's $350 million a year you could throw to your bottom line. And the visionaries at Southwest said, no, no. They said, no, sir, everybody's doing it. And you're struggling with some blah, blah, blah. And you could throw $350 million to the bottom line. You have to charge for bags. And the visionaries, Gary Kelly, and everybody said, no, our purpose is to give people the freedom to fly. A bag costs the same amount as a Disney World ticket. We're not charging for bags. And every, the market went, are you kidding me? Well, what happened was, because of brilliant advertising, I might add, <laughs> um, we drove, and it's reported in the Wall Street Journal, in 12 months, Southwest drove a billion dollars of new revenue charging for free. You know why? We didn't violate the purpose of the company. So that's a heavy question answer to a light question, but actually the question, don't I would encourage Chipotle to keep making it better and better, but do not violate the purpose and the values of the company. Mm. You do it once, what's to say you're going to do it, not do it again? Really well put. From a man who doesn't do, do mild. mild. And I get it. <laughs> so, this is the only way I can think to close this delightful conversation, which will be enjoyed by tens of thousands of Rule Breaker Investing listeners. Thank you so much, Roy. The only way that I can think to end this one is to one of the things that I do through this show is that I get to meet great people, and you're a great person. And I, in some way, get to share a part of that great person's perspective with anybody who's foolish enough to listen. <laughs> and so, I think, well, I know that a lot of our listeners are themselves entrepreneurs, small business people, big business people. We got a lot of people. And my my take here, Roy, is that one of the most valuable things I could do for them at close is to channel for free, because I don't think you're charging me for this wonderful hour or so. I think this is for free. Some free advice to all those fools out there who were foolish enough to start something for profit, not for profit. Can you just give maybe one, two, or three points of classic Roy Spence advice to anybody walking in their shoes who's trying to do a better job marketing their business? It's a great question. It's a great close. I think that 
the lessons I've learned and didn't know it, didn't know what they were. But I think number one is you've got to really believe in what you're making and producing. If you're trying again to do it to get rich, and I, that's all good. But if you're starting a business, it's got to be started first. I'm going to give with passion. Secondly, I always tell people, you say, I want to start my own business on my own. And I say, come here, son or daughter, sit down with me. You can't do it on your own. And you're going to do it with partners. And I, my mom used to tell me there are two kinds of people in the world. There are vinegar people and honey people. <laughs> and I said, and the vinegar people are takers and the honey people are givers. Hang out with the honey people. Find partners that are givers, number two. Number three, when you market, do it simple and make it uh, where you where the don't mess with Texas or freedom to move about the country or whatever the lines are. Start figuring out what your slogan is first. I hate to use that word, but that's what it is. Mm -hmm. What is that handle? The fool's. Start with that, and if you don't get, if you don't find that you can do it in three or four words or some power, like don't mess with whatever it is, you got to keep working on that because the world doesn't wake up and say, "God, I'd like to have a new company uh, start." <laughs> I sure hope I have some more soaps to choose from. God, I hope there's some more soft drinks out there tomorrow or beers. <laughs> so. You have to, and the final thing from a marketing perspective, and y'all know this, is that one of the greatest books on marketing ever written uh, was Strauss and Howe. It was called Positioning. And they say everybody runs around in their head with these ladders. And like if I said on the cola ladder back 20 years ago, there'd be Coke and Pepsi, yes, RC and Dr. Pepper. And there was a company on the cola ladder that was getting crushed. Because people, are, they walk around with ladders on every category, and they rank them one, two, three, or four. They have more than that now. 7-Up was getting crushed, so they said, we can't play on the ladder, so they built a new ladder called the Uncola. If you're starting a business, don't think you can be better to start with. you got to start by thinking we got to be different. If you're not different, you, they won't ever get to better because they won't try you. Be different first. Bam. That is a great way to end this. Roy Spence, um, well, let me just say quickly that one of my favorite investing books, this might catch you from the side here. This is, this, is a, this is a surprise moment, maybe, Roy, but one of my favorite investing books is your book, It's Not What You Sell, It's What You Stand For. And it's not because you wrote that book for investors. I don't think you did. I've read it, so I know you didn't. You wrote it to help people think through the purpose of their organizations. But I, because I like to read widely and pull stuff from different fields, I have used that as an investment book. It's enabled me to well, look into the you. heart of companies and say, I'm going to pick this one, not that one. And more often than not, it works. And when it does work, sometimes it works like magic. So, Roy, I want to well, thank, thank you, you, and I highly recommend that book and all of your work. Of thank course, I, maybe maybe there'll be some new GSDNM clients as a con consequence of this conversation. That wasn't the purpose of it, but sometimes, when you have good purpose, you make money, too, which I think you've demonstrated yeah. as well. In fact, if you don't, uh, like I always say, if you want to be in the nonprofit 
business, remember, you're not going to make any money. Mm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I love nonprofits, but I'm in the for-profit business that makes a difference. Dave and Tom and all Mac and everybody, it's always the fools are amazing. <laughs> Y'all built a purpose-inspired organization. You, you dog it every day. I've seen it. I've been in your offices. I've been around you guys at Conscious Capitalism. And, you know, one of the great things that happens in America is when good people do good things, uh, I'm just going to tell you, a lot of times good things happen. Mm. And a lot of times it doesn't, but when you have good people doing good things, good things happen. So I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you, Roy. I really appreciate it. I do need to mention to my listeners, he's as handsome in person as he is eloquent on the phone. So that's just a side <laughs> note. <laughs> yeah, and when finally, when I, when I leave you, David, I still get to be with me. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, I Roy. Anyway. I love it. Okay. Love All you right. Guys. See you. Cheers. Well, I think it's fair to say after that, not much more than enough said. Or sometimes I think of the word that ends some of the more hoity-toity movies out there. It's French. It's three letters. I know you know it. Fin. Let's just go with that. See you next week. Fin. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.